Before we begin, I just want to remind you that you can email catholicdailybrief at gmail.com if you have topic ideas for episodes or questions that you want me to address, catholicdailybrief at gmail.com. And also, as the creator of the podcast, I can see the analytics and the places where this podcast is listened to. So it's very interesting to me to see all the places beyond the United States where people listen. There's a lot of listeners, for example, in Belgium and New Zealand and Singapore, quite a few in India, quite a few in Brazil, quite a few in the UK, quite a few in Scandinavia. And it would just be interesting to me to hear from you why you're listening to the podcast or how you're using it or how it's helping you. All that stuff's just really interesting to me. So please, if you feel like it, drop me an email and let me know how you heard about the podcast and and why you're listening to it and all these various places throughout the world that I wouldn't have expected uh, people to be listening. That's catholicdailybrief at gmail.com. Okay, so on to the episode, episode 73, What Makes a War Just? There's wars going on throughout the world. We're most conscious of the one between uh, Russia and Ukraine, but there's wars going on all over the world. There's hundreds of wars going on in various places throughout the world, and that's pretty much a consistent fact of existence, unfortunately. But because violence between nations is so common, the church has doctrine and guidance about under what conditions a a nation can actually engage in a war. And the best way to think about why the church would have such a teaching is because It's analogous to self-defense. We all know that violence is unfortunate, but it can be justified in certain circumstances. On an individual level, we all have a right to our life and to defending our life and to do so with the necessary amount of force. And sometimes that amount of force can reach to inflicting death on another, but that doesn't violate the fifth commandment because it is not murder. It is not an intentional killing of an innocent. It is force necessary to repel an attacker. And you can make that argument analogously on the level of a nation. So if you just take that individual right to self-defense, even using lethal force, you can raise that to a wider level. And that's kind of how we understand why there are conditions in which we can engage in war, even though war is accompanied by so many terrible things. The principles of what makes a just war come from, unsurprisingly, two of the great minds, two of the great saints in the tradition of the church, first St. Augustine and then St. Thomas Aquinas later on. And these principles are articulated by the Catechism, so I'll read that first, and then we'll talk about a little bit more of what St. Thomas and St. Augustine said. So the Catechism in paragraph 2309 says, The strict conditions for legitimate defense by military force require rigorous consideration. The gravity of such a decision makes it subject to rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy, and all of the following need to be present at the same time. The damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting, grave, and certain. Two, all other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be impractical or ineffective. Three, there must be serious prospects of success. Four, the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. So what does all that mean? First of all, note that the whole thing is framed as an act of defense. So war of aggression is... 100% ruled out. There can be no just war of aggression where a nation simply, in order to to expand its territory or its interests, decides to engage in a war on another nation. That is totally indefensible, morally speaking. But this first condition is the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting, grave, and certain. So those are three things there, lasting, grave, and certain. In defending a nation or a community of nations, one has to take each of those things into account. It cannot be merely hypothetical or possible. It needs to be a certain 
prospect of damage. So just because we can only engage in a war of defense does not mean that it needs to wait for an aggression, but if there is an aggression that is imminent and certain, then war can be waged as a defense, even though it is the first step taken by the defending nation. And it must be a lasting or grave amount of damage. Uh, and secondly, of course, war has to be the last resort. All other means need to be exhausted. All other political and diplomatic means need to be attempted before war is even considered. War can never be the first choice. Uh, then next condition was there must be serious prospects of success. So if engaging in war certainly entails the destruction of your populace, then you cannot, as the leader of a nation, morally decide to engage in a war. There has to be actual prospects of success that your interests will actually, that your interests and your people will actually be defended and, relatively speaking, remain intact. And then the last condition concerns us and our particular place in history more because it requires discerning whether the means of warfare will produce greater evils than, than what you're trying to fight against. So because we have the capacity to inflict such great damage with nuclear arms and other things like that, we have to be conscious of the fact that if we use such weapons, they actually create greater violence and greater disorder and greater destruction than what we're really trying to fight against. So whether nuclear arms can ever morally be used as a defense weapon is doubtful. Having them as a deterrent is a great idea to avoid war, to be able to brandish nuclear arms in order to prevent aggression is helpful, but to actually use nuclear arms as defense seems difficult to justify. Now, something that St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas add that we cynically, of course, would scoff at is that there's a right intention, that the, the one declaring war must have true intentions that align with waging a just war and not ulterior motives, that saying the, the motive is just but actually doing it to despoil a country of their goods or to seek revenge for personal vendetta or whatever. Uh, we know that that's usually how wars are waged between nations nowadays. We consider our own country's intervention in other parts of the world. Oftentimes the criticism is, well, Obviously, if this is just being done for reasons that aren't being stated to enrich ourselves or to take advantage of another part of the world, whatever. Uh, we usually just say we're bringing democracy to the world and that that's uh, justification enough. But really, by just war theory, most of the military interventions that go on now are for reasons that go against this condition of having a right intention. We generally don't see politicians actually having virtuous intentions in anything. So usually we suspect that there are ulterior motives. So that's a very serious moral problem. And within war, there can never be the intention to harm innocents. Now, of course, this happens and it's a great tragedy when, when civilians are targeted or when they are collateral damage, so to speak. There needs to be discrimination between the people and the places that are targets of military action. And once a war is begun, even if it is justly waged, within war, morality still applies. It's not as if, okay, this meets the conditions of just war, so have at it, boys. No, you have to always, on an individual level, act morally and virtuously. So just because a war is being waged for a just reason does not mean that you can kill someone when you don't need to kill someone for self-defense or for the achievement of an important objective to remove danger from a particular place. A nation that is justified in engaging in war as a defense can still have many wicked actions done in that war's name. And that's something that needs to be understood too. 
that the morality we're talking about of war does not apply to nations because nations aren't persons and they are not morally responsible. The morality of a war or the immorality of a war applies to the persons in charge and the persons engaged in it. There cannot be some blanket morality or justice of a cause that excuses individual moral actions. So don't don't let these conditions of moral or just war make you think that it whitewashes the actions of all engaged in it. Definitely not. Morality or immorality is a judgment made of persons, not of nations. So with all these criteria in mind, we can look at various things, controversial things done in war. Uh, we can look at the Crusades, and that's something I'll tackle in another episode. We have to look at, was it justly waged? And if so, were all the actions within that war morally defensible or not? Uh, we can look at the dropping of the atomic bombs on Japan. That seems to be, by these very criteria, indefensible morally, even though we can say, hey, it brought an end to the war and it prevented greater tragedy. Well, maybe. That's a hypothetical. Uh, it certainly brought about mass death of civilians, which is never acceptable, and it was intended, in this case, to destroy entire cities, both military and civilian targets. So that's indefensible, even though we could say it had a quote-unquote good effect in bringing a swift end to the war. We can look at what's going on in Ukraine now and our involvement, if it, we want to call it indirect or direct involvement, uh, it seems that the intention there is shady or questionable because we're giving such resources to a country that is by no means a bastion of democracy and the money seems to be unaccounted for and some of it seems to make its way back to politicians in our own country. So there it seems that while on the surface we have these virtuous and freedom-loving motives for helping Ukraine, it seems that the intention of the politicians involved is actually nefarious and at the very least questionable or doubtful. We can look at World War II, and while there are many terrible things happening in the Second World War, we can say that our intention was justified, of course, because we were attacked directly, but also because our allies, together with us, were considered a community, in a sense, a political community, and the very existence of Western Europe was threatened by the aggression of the Nazis, and so, of course, we were justified in entering that war and trying to repel an unjust aggressor that was bent on the elimination of entire countries, entire races of people. So that was a morally good cause, and we were justified in entering World War II. Now, of course, many, many evils, moral evils and, of course, physical evils occurred during that war. So it's not saying that World War II was good on the whole, but it does mean that we were morally justified in entering into that conflict. So this is why the church gives us these criteria because we always need to be conscious of the goodness or the wickedness of our actions. That applies not only to individuals, but also individuals who are in charge of entire nations and who are responsible for bringing hundreds of thousands or millions of people into a situation in which there are a lot of questions of violence and moral or immoral action. So the moral burden on the leaders of nations is very heavy, and not many of them recognize that fact because a lot of them are very quick to go to war, even though it certainly entails the death of hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of their own people. Now, all of that being said, it has to be noted that the church is not opposed to war absolutely, because in this fallen world, peace does not mean simply the absence of conflict. It means, as St. Augustine would say, the tranquility of order. So sometimes in order to remove an evil influence in the world, something that is contrary to the justice of God, 
war does need to be waged in a perfect world and a, a world that's not fallen. War is an absolute evil and would never occur. But in the world we live in, the church is not absolutely opposed to war because sometimes evil violence needs to be met with justified violence in order to defend what is worth defending, God and the family and a nation that values such things. If you'd like to read more about just war, of course, I mentioned the Catechism starting at paragraph 2309. You can read uh, more on that topic, more than what I had just read. And also in uh, St. Thomas's Summa Theologiae, in the second part of the second part, starting at question 40, he articulates his principles of a just war. So you can read straight from the master there. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please give a five-star rating and a good review. Share this podcast with your family members and friends and consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. God bless.